Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I want to apologize. The last time I hosted, I was promising to be back the very next week, and I really meant to be, but um, life happened, and Ian very kindly stepped in for me, and I missed that show, and I'm kind of bummed about it. There were some great things that I know Ian did a wonderful job with, Um, but I'm here today, and we're going to be answering your questions a little bit later in the show. But before we do that, we're actually going to be talking about the coalition application and uh, the Maryland, University of Maryland supplements that go along with the coalition application. Maryland is one of two schools that are coalition exclusive, meaning that the only way to apply to Maryland is to use the coalition application. The other school is University of Washington. Um, But here to talk to me about this today is my colleague, Julia Jones, who's a former Brandeis admissions officer. Hi, Julia. Hey, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And uh, happy to have you here and and uh, for us to talk more about the coalition application today. Very quickly for our listeners, um, just uh, what is the coalition application if they haven't heard of it? Sure. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's it's very similar to the common application. For those of you who may have heard of that, it's it's an application platform um, that you, you know multiple, many many schools use, um, and so you can apply to to multiple schools on one application. Um, and uh, and you know it, it, you can use one application to fill out your profile, the main section, and then each school um, on on the application will have their own set of requirements and sometimes some. Uh, Supplemental questions as well, so um, so it's a very very similar process to to the common application. Um, But as you mentioned, there are a couple of schools that are only um, are exclusive to the coalition app. So, and Maryland, which we're going to be talking about, is is one of those schools. Yes. All right. So let's start with the coalition application essay. So they like the common application. There is a main essay. Um, Any differences that you see between the coalition and the common app essay? Um, I mean, I think there are a few. Um, yeah, the word limit um, for is a little bit uh, different. Um, it's it's for many schools. It's shorter. So um, unlike the common application that has a pretty set, you know, 650 word limitation, um, for the coalition application, I think it sometimes can vary from from school to school. But in general, it's 500 to 550 words. Um, so so it is a little shorter. Um, but the questions I think are. Quite similar. Um, I think the prompts for the coalition application are, you know, there are a few additional ones. Um, I think the goal for the essay should be the same: is that you you can literally write about anything. Um, each of the uh, each applications, the coalition also has a uh, an, a topic that is basically, you know, submit an essay of a topic of your choice. So if none of the other prompts meet your, you know, fit what you want to talk about or or, um, or that you have an idea that doesn't fit into any of the other prompts, you can very easily, you know, write write about whatever you want to write about. Um, and so so I think, and, and I know the common application also has that, definitely has that. Um, so I think, but there are, um, there are four other prompts that 
really do, uh, I, I think, kind of run the, uh, run the spectrum of, you know, trying to really get students to tell something really interesting about themselves, something that, that um, makes them stand out or that might be um, useful for admissions officers to know that we wouldn't necessarily know from, you know, from other right. parts of their application. So, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think, and some of them directly correspond, you know, and correlate really, really well with, with the common app prompts as well, or almost identical. Yeah, and I guess to that point, uh, what I would, the first suggestion I would have to students is if you've written an essay for the common application, you can use it for the coalition. So aside from simply shortening up that essay, because as Julian noted, it's the limit on the common application is 650 words, but the limit here is more like 500 to 550 words. So really what you'd need to do is take that essay, and if you were at the full 650 words, just cut it down which I know some students find very difficult to do, but I generally find that there's usually plenty that can go. And if you feel like it doesn't fit any of the prompts, you've got topic of your choice. So boom, there you go, you're done. Do not write a new essay if you don't need to write a new essay. However, if you haven't submitted the Common Application, let's talk a little bit about the Common App or the Coalition Application prompts because you will have to write one for this. So the first option is uh, tell a story from your life describing an experience that either demonstrates your character or helped to shape it. So what's your advice here, Julia? Well, I think, honestly, from my perspective, I think almost any good essay um, is mm-hmm. going to do this. I, I think yep. that's kind of the, you know, in some ways it, it sort of feels like, and this is very much the same as the first prompt for the common application, slightly different language, but it's but it's pretty identical. Um, and again, I always say, you know, hey, that's almost kind of like topic of your choice. I mean, you know, you want, yes. um, you know, that's what colleges are looking for. They want to know a little bit more about your character, what you value, what something about you. Um, and usually in order to, to show that or to, just, you know, to, if you're um, showing rather than telling, you want to really use an experience or an example, something that maybe illustrates that quality or that character trait that you're trying to describe. So, um, so again, it's, it's really, they're, they're giving you a really broad um, way, and, and students will, can and do write about almost you know, anything, whether it's an activity or an interest or something, um, and again, an experience, a moment that maybe showcases something about you. So I think it really is, um, you know, it has to, as with any essay, um, you, it, it's really got to be mostly and almost entirely about you as a student, even if you're writing about somebody or something else. Right. And I think the key here is this is basically a write about topic of your choice, as you noted. I mean, yeah. It couldn't yeah. be more general. And um, therefore, if you are looking for something that's going to help you focus a little bit more, my advice would be to perhaps take a look at prompts two, three, and four. But let's start with two, which is describe a time when you made a meaningful contribution to others in which the greater good was your focus. Discuss the challenges and rewards of making your contribution. What right. are you thinking yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you can read this and, and I think, you know, automatically your mind goes to, okay, so this is something like if I did a community service project yep. or if I, you know, and, and, and yes, I think you, that, that definitely could, could relate here. But I, I look at it as, you know, there are a lot of different ways that you could a- answer this question and, and thinking about, you know, what ways have you, you made contributions? Um, for some students, it might be that they've made a meaningful contribution in their family. You know, maybe it's, it's talking about, you know, some, some ways that they've contributed or helped out, um, you know, in their family 
family or even on a team or in a group project. So I think there are a lot of different ways to look at this, and it doesn't have to necessarily be service-oriented. So if you're thinking that and you're thinking, well, I, didn't, I haven't really done it's not my thing, you may still have an experience here that still talks about, you know, what, what it was. Because, it, again, it's showing that side of your character of what, you know, what was important to you and, and how you, you know, what your role was within, um, you know, in some way as you, were, as you were doing whatever this contribution was. Right. I, I think one thing I would want our listeners to pay attention to is the idea that the part of the question is in which the greater good was your focus. But to your yeah. point, the greater good does not have to mean the world, right? The greater yeah. good could right. mean that this was really helpful to your family, your greater family. So in, in other words, the greater yeah. good is not necessarily so expansive so much as it is not just about you, Right. Not just about you making a contribution, but the idea being that you are helping others with others in mind rather than yourself in mind. And and that's kind of how I would think about that one. Uh, All right. Let's move to to number three, which is, has there been a time when you've had a long cherished or accepted belief challenged? How did you respond? How did the challenge affect your beliefs? What are your thoughts here? yeah, and this one, there's, there's also a, a very, this really um, is, is very much like another question that's on the common application. So if, if that's an, a question that you've already answered or looked at, it's, it's, it's a similar one. And I think, again, this can be, um, you know, there are so many different ways that you can tackle it. Um, it could be something that is, you know, more, a more global belief or, or something that is perhaps, um, you know, connected in some way to, uh, you know, to, to your faith or to, um, you know, to, to kind of a world belief, but it can also be something very personal, um, and so I think the key is 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 it, to answering that question is not so much even in again the what 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 was the change, but how did you respond and how did it affect you? I think that's really what colleges ultimately want to know is how 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 has this changed you in some way? Um, there's no right or wrong, and it's not really a position paper. It should not be that. It really still has to be about why this is relevant to your to your life and 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 to you know why this is important for you to be telling the story. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always, that's always the key, right? It has to be something important and it shouldn't be just, oh, right, like my friend convinced me that Pepsi is better than Coke or something that's kind of silly. Um, I'm not saying silly is necessarily bad. If you can go deeper with that, great. But I, I like your idea that it is you want it to be something that's truly important to you. And I I think that is the overwhelming goal in general. Only write about something that's important to you and don't be thinking about, well, what would the admissions office want to hear about? You have to be, have to make it important to you. And that's also why I think the, the challenge or the, the belief should be um, a big one that you changed Mm -hmm. as a result. And if you don't have one, don't make one up. Go move on. Right. Yes, this prompt may not be for you. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I do want to encourage that in general. If you read it and you think, I just don't know of anything that fits here, and you do more than just spend 30 seconds thinking about it, and you still can't come up with anything, then move to a different prompt. Um, yeah. Don't Absolutely. let the prompts tell you what story you want to tell. Think about the story you want to tell first, and then find the prompt that works with it. Okay, last question, which I actually think is the most unique of all options, and I haven't really seen anything like this, and that makes it kind of appealing to me. 
Hmm. And hmm. note, yeah. I'm not saying it's appealing to admissions, but it, I find it appealing because <laughs> it's new. Um, yeah. What is the hardest part of being a student now? What's the best part? What advice would you give a younger sibling or friend, assuming they would listen to you? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, Beth. I think it, it is, it's definitely a different essay. It's not one that um, I've seen on the, really on the Common App or on, the, on other app, many other applications. And so, um, yeah, and so that is, it's a little refreshing on that respect. And I think it is, um, you know, I, I think for students too, it, 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 I feel like, it, you know, there are, that's something that I think a lot of students have probably thought about in some ways, you know, again, what's it, what's it like? Or if they haven't, I think it's, it's an intriguing kind of, of question. Um, so again, I think it has to really come down to, um, you know why? Why you're the why behind this? The answer, not just okay. Well, so the hardest part of being a student, but why is that? Why would that be something that that you're uh, talking about? Or um, you know the advice that you're giving a younger sibling, or or you know, and maybe you have given advice to somebody or a younger sibling or someone um, you know or a friend. So I think it maybe you could come from you know from an experience that you've talked about. But again, it, it's really consider the relevance and consider the you know why this is is something that you're you're hoping to say, say about you, what you want this to really reveal about your personality, your character as well. So, right. um, so I think it's, it's, you know, the advice that I would give for any essay is, is, you know, relevant here as well, which is, you know, keep, keep that, you know, focus on you and why you're, why you're answering this prompt, why you're, you know, using this, this particular prompt to, to showcase some, some element of your, yourself. Right. And don't fall into the trap of simply answering the questions and thinking that you've got an essay. It still needs to be an essay. You still need an interesting opening. You still need a a good conclusion. You still need that flow of an essay. Um, I do think while I like this, this prompt, I think it probably lends itself to the least essay kind of thinking, because I think a student would say, oh, I could tell you what I think is the hardest part. And now I'll tell you what the best part is. And now I'll give my advice. But that doesn't necessarily make for an essay if you structure it exactly that way, or a great essay if you structure it that way. Exactly. And it it sort of goes to one of my biggest pet peeves is like, don't answer, don't you, you know, don't use the prompt language in your answer if you can. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so you could start the essay with, well, the hardest part about being a student is, and no, Um, I I think there's a much more interesting way to, (laughs) to, to tell your story then um, and to be answering this prompt but not not using that language exactly make it interesting for your reader to read because they are going to read a lot of them Um, (laughs) all right so we've covered the coalition which as noted is uh, Maryland and University of Washington's only application let's talk a little bit um, we have a couple of minutes left and Maryland supplement Mm -hmm. is not particularly challenging Um, in fact I think it's really fun but there is they have let's see here one two three four five five. kind of what I would say quick um, sentence completions Um, Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts when in terms in general terms about sentence completions and and, you know, this kind of thing? Right, right. Well, and this, this actually goes against what I just said. It's like, don't repeat the prompt. Here, you you are. You're finishing their sentences. You're you're kind of. They've given you the first part, and then you they're asking you to kind of complete the sentence with something personal. Um, and I mean, I, I agree with you. I think they're fun. Um, I look at these. These could almost be interview questions or sort of you know quick ways to. They're, what they're trying to do with with these questions, which we'll go over, is is to really get get to know you a little bit more and perhaps a little bit more of a um a a, a, a quick way, but also 
also, it's just in some cases, a fun way. So, um, you know, for some students, I, I, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of overthink it. And I think to also look at this and say, okay, what do I, what are they really looking for here? How do I, you know, how do I present myself in the best way? When I think really what they're looking for is your you know, genuine answers. And, you know, mm-hmm. things that also in some ways connect a little bit to, to you know, they're obviously um, an academic institution and they so they want to sort of see, okay, are you a good kind of fit for, for what we're about? Um, so, but they're really short. They're only 160 characters, not even words. So, so right. you're not, these are not essays. These are just really, you know, things that they're, they're looking to kind of get, get kind of quick shots of, of, you know, other parts of your personality. Yeah, I would say a couple of tips I would have here is that you don't repeat, as Julia mentioned, you are finishing the sentence. Do not use your 160 characters to actually write, if I could travel anywhere, I would go to. Yours starts with the, where would you go, you know, I would go to. to China, yeah. China, (laughs) and, you know, kind of why. I think Mm -hmm. you can have fun with these, although I wouldn't necessarily have fun with all of them. So some, you might want a nice mix of some that are a little bit quirkier. I hate, I use the word silly again. I don't know about, I don't know what I mean when I say silly. I don't think really silly, just not necessarily serious and not necessarily funny. It doesn't have to be funny if you're not funny, but don't feel like every single one of these has to, you have to take it deadly seriously. You show off your personality as Julia was mentioning. And remember 160 characters is very different from 160 words. And generally speaking, that's also going to include spaces. So you have 160 characters and some of those characters are going to be taken up by spaces so you right. got to be succinct here um last yeah, thing, it, is, it is really like a half a sentence it's that's about all they're after and that's all that you have room for exactly very quickly yeah. um as we come to the end of our time there there is as is there uh, there's a space for this on the common application there is a space in maryland's um application to include any additional information that you want to provide if extenuating circumstances have affected your performance or extracurricular activities. What, you know, just any very quick advice on this section here. Right. I I think, I mean, this really is optional. And I think this is the case where on the Common App and in other applications, uh, you know, if if there's really nothing that you have that has, that is relevant here, you do not have to fill that out. So um, I think they're, you know, after really, what's, is is there something, is there something, you know, a family circumstance, uh, you know, perhaps an illness or something that maybe really they they want and need to know about um, that might put your application in the right perspective and context. But if not, you can, you can, you can move past this one. Yep. Leave it blank. Do not be afraid yep. to leave it blank. Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, all right. When we come back, we are going to be answering your questions. So do not go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, 
What options are available to pay for college? And most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application? We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to get to your questions in a second. But before we do, I did want to tell you all about something that I have been using and really enjoying, and that's Audible um, by Amazon. So Audible is what it sounds like, a bunch of audiobooks and audio entertainment. But the thing that I really enjoy, because I travel a lot and I'm in my car, uh, and I obviously when I'm in my car, I ideally I'm not reading anything while I'm in my car. I'm paying attention to the road. But the cool thing is that I can get free updates from the New York Times, from the Wall Street Journal, and from the Washington Post So they get delivered to the app and then I can just listen to them while I'm driving or when I'm traveling. So I'm going to be in the UK soon and so I can get my updates from home by listening to the app without having to take a lot of time to sit down and read them because I'm going to be on the move a lot of my time. So I love it and I wanted you guys to know that Audible is available to you. You can start listening with a 30-day free trial. You can choose one audiobook and two Audible Originals for free. And to learn more, you can visit audible.com slash college coach or text college coach to 500-500. So again, it's audible.com slash college coach, all one word, or text college coach, all one word to 500-500. And... Um, Uh, Like I said, I love it. It is easy, it's convenient, and it's really great uh, for when I'm traveling. So if you guys want to check it out and get a special offer, visit audible.com slash college coach or text college coach to 500-500. All right, Shannon is a former financial aid officer at BU and Tufts, and she is frequently my guest when we do these listener question segments. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Beth. How are you? 
I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Um, We have a bunch of stuff to get to. So let's just jump right in. We'll do some listener questions. We'll take our break. We'll come back. We'll do some more. We've got a lot of them. Uh, So the very first one comes to us from Patricia. And her question is, is there a risk that you would get less financial aid to Rice if you apply in the early decision round? And just really quickly for our listeners, early decision is when you are agreeing to attend if they admit you. So if you apply ED to Rice or any other school that offers early decision, you're saying, if you admit me, I am going to withdraw all of my other applications and enroll at Rice. So therefore, they know that you are committed once they admit you. All right, take it away. Right. Yeah, so I apologize to Patricia if this question was for this year. She was trying to weigh this decision because I think we've already missed Rice's ED uh, deadline, but uh, I hope the answer to this question doesn't make uh, Patricia regret any decision she made about Rice. Um, But for Rice specifically, uh, if we're talking about need-based financial aid, the answer to Patricia's question is no. There's no risk that you would get less financial aid to Rice if you... Uh, whether they applied early decision or not. Rice is a college that guarantees that they will meet 100% of the financial need of every student they accept, no matter what round you apply in early decision or regular decision. It doesn't matter at Rice. Whatever your need level is calculated to be, they will meet it. There are very few colleges that make that guarantee. I can tell you exactly how many because I, I recently wrote a blog post about it. There's exactly 78 colleges in the country that guarantee that they will meet every student's full financial need. Uh, in case folks are interested in that blog post, if you go to our blog, which is college. And you search for most generous colleges on that site, uh, you'll find the the full list of 78 schools. But Rice is on the list. So really no risk that you would get less need-based aid at Rice uh, by applying early decision. Now, just to kind of expand it out a little bit for other folks listening, um, if we're not talking about Rice, if we're talking about schools that don't necessarily guarantee that they will meet your full calculated need, or if possibly if we're talking about merit scholarships as opposed to need-based aid, um, I would say that there might be a slight risk that you might get mm-hmm. less financial aid um, by applying ED, um, but it's probably not an issue. You can think about sort of the the theory behind merit scholarships specifically. They're offered as a recruitment tool. They're trying to entice students to enroll. If you're applying early decision, you're guaranteeing the school up front you're going to enroll whether they give you scholarship funding or not. So you would think there wouldn't be much incentive for a school to be particularly generous with their early decision students since they're guaranteeing, the students are guaranteeing they're going to come regardless. Um, So I have been like searching for evidence of schools actually lowballing students who apply mm-hmm. ED. Uh, I have talked to all of you know our co- our colleagues at at Bright Horizons College Coach who um, you know have worked at dozens and dozens of colleges all across the country. I've been trying to find evidence uh, of schools lowballing ED students, and I've really found very very little evidence for it. Maybe kind of a few isolated incidents I've, I've heard of, but. It, from my research, it seems the vast majority of schools are being really, um, you know, kind of just as generous with early decision students as they would have been through the regular 
decision process. So I'd say maybe slight risk there, uh, but not a tremendous amount. It's probably not an issue. I think the bigger issue, the bigger sort of uh, financial issue with applying early decision is that you're giving up the ability to compare offers from other schools. So, you know, you really want to be very sure that this school you're applying ED to is your first choice and would remain your first choice if, uh, you know, school number two on your list offered you a great big scholarship um, because they might, but you're still committed to that early decision school. So that, I think, is the bigger financial issue. They're likely not going to purposely give you less financial aid, um, but you're just giving up that ability to compare offers from other schools, potentially negotiate offers to get them even higher. So that's, I would say, the big financial downside to applying early decision. All right. You have one for me Okay. I sure do, yes. So Natalie um, asks, my ninth grade daughter is considering a college special program that would require her to send SAT subject tests in bio, M, and math. She is currently in honors biology but plans to take AP biology in her junior year when she is able. When is the best time to take the test? Immediately after her honors class or after her AP class. Also, can she take it twice, once after each class, and only send the best result, or does she have to send them both? Okay, a few different questions here. And I think the first one is the idea of, do you are you better prepared to take the subject test after an honors bio course or after the AP bio course? And in right. general, I would say that most students are going to be much better prepared post AP class than just an honors class. However, I always encourage students to talk to the teacher and ask, do students who take this honors level course typically take the subject test after this? Do you see that they are prepared for it? And do you have any idea how well they do on this or not? So it could be that this is a particularly challenging honors bio course, and she might be very well served by taking that subject test at the end of the year. However, my gut says she's probably going to be in a better position to take it after the AP class in her junior year. As to the question of whether or not you could take it both times uh, and send only the better score, I would say that in general, sure, that is most likely going to be fine. But there are some colleges out there who will specify that they want you to submit all of your scores. The University of California system is one of those. Now, your daughter's only a ninth grader. That could change between now and then. There were schools that used to say they wanted to see all scores. Penn, for example, where I used to work used to ask students to submit all scores, and now they do not. So, you know, if you if she knows where she wants to apply and um, none of them are requiring all scores, great. I, I guess it's possible, though, that she might change her mind between ninth grade and, and 12th grade, and she might then regret the choice of just taking the test to see how she can do on it. I'm not a big fan of taking tests without doing at least some prep, And so I think that's the other question is, you know, are you going to invest in prep twice? Um, I'm also not really a fan of going in and taking a test cold. And by that, I mean doing no prep for it. So I already said I'm not a fan for not doing prep. I'm not a fan of going in and taking it cold because it's just... It's just not great to ha- to have a really low score on your record 
um, in general. And by really low, I would say anything below 600 is going to not be great at a school that is looking for subject test scores. Um, 600s may not cut it for that type of a program, but at the same time, I don't think it's so bad that it's going to really get in the student's way, especially if they've taken it a second time and done significantly better. The college will see the date when the first one was taken. They'll see the date when the second one is taken. They'll see the preparation the student has done in terms of the coursework. So, you know, I think probably talking to the teacher and then maybe also picking up a prep book or even going onto the college board site, they do provide some sample questions for every one of their subject tests. And so if you look on the site, you can see, you know, gee, have I studied, will I have studied all the things that are going to be covered on this test? How do these questions look to me right now? Um, Really hard, completely, like I have no idea. That might be a sign that you're not ready to take the test. But if you're going to cover everything that's going to be covered on the test, maybe you could. All of this to say that it's really difficult for me to, to say with any certainty without knowing all of those other pieces. But um, start with talking to the teacher. Okay. Sounds like a great one. Okay. Yeah. All right. So next question for you is, comes to us from George. My high school senior just sent in all her college applications. Congrats on that. When do we apply for financial aid? <laughs> Yeah, so you've, you've, you're over one hurdle, now the second hurdle, financial aid. And the time to apply is essentially now-ish. <laughs> um, now, the financial aid applications opened up for this upcoming school year on October 1st, so that was the soonest you could apply. But then that's the only kind of standard date, standardized date in the financial aid process when you can start applying in terms of when you must finish applying the deadline. Every college sets their own. Uh, and they can really come up any time between November, like any day now, and March. Um, so I would definitely recommend George um, or his child check out all the college, the websites of all the colleges that, that they've applied to and find out when their financial aid application deadlines are uh, and just make sure that you get your financial aid application in by the earliest deadline. One mistake you definitely don't want to make that a lot of people do is waiting until they've heard back from the school, waiting until they know they've been accepted, and then they go to apply for financial aid. Uh, at that point, you have probably already missed the college's financial aid application deadline. Um, so don't wait. Check the websites now and, and get the the financial aid application in soon because you will likely be seeing deadlines coming up pretty soon. All right, Shannon, that's great and good timing. We're going to go take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to answer more questions. So don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, 
how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back, and I'm here with Shannon Vasconcellos, who is my colleague here at College Coach, and we're answering your questions, but really quickly, actually, Shannon, I have a question for you. I saw that Edmed, um, and for those listeners who are frequent listeners of the show, you might know that we've had Edmit on a few times just to talk to us about what they're trying to accomplish, and they have a new book, and you are quoted in it, and can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, our, our friends Sabrina and Nick, who I think have probably both been on the show uh, at Admit, uh, wrote a book recently, and it's called Better Off After College, A Guide to Paying for College with More Aid and Less Debt, uh, which is, of course, what all of us want. Um, so it's really a, a, a great guidebook for families um, at really every step of the process, whether you've got young kids and you're saving for college now, uh, right up through high school and making that college decision uh, about con- strategies for, for how to pay less uh, and avoid uh, overborrowing. Um, they've cited lots of um, college finance experts in the book. Like you said, I'm in the book talking about you, you, the questions that you need to ask uh, a college to make sure that you're um, fully prepared for all of the costs that are going to come up. And again, how to minimize uh, those costs and maximize the financial aid. Um, so yeah, you can get the book on Amazon. Right now it's available. You can get it for Kindle or uh, paperback edition. So yeah, I would definitely check it out. Call again, Better Off After College. All right. I love it. Um, All right. So let's get back into our questions. I think you have one for me. 
Yes, so this comes from Aruna, uh, and it says, we applied to the college... (laughs) My daughter, we applied. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know. I think we have a problem with that. We didn't apply, but we applied to the college my daughter wants to go to. But she unfortunately did not get in. I know lots of kids will leave their seats on May 1st. So can we ask the college to reevaluate once those kids um, decline by May 1st? Right. So, yeah, I think what you mean, Aruna, by leave their seats is that they they will not be accepting the offers of admission. I would say that in general, the answer here is no. Um, most colleges are not going to reevaluate their decision. They are um, actually doing a lot of calculating behind the scenes to figure out how many offers of acceptance they need to send out in order to fill their class. Um, And they generally get that correct. Uh, And most colleges don't have, um, I probably shouldn't say most, I will say that at the more selective level, colleges don't have uh, a review process for you to go through to have your application decision reconsidered. There are some schools that do lay out a, um, a process for that. And so if it's one of those schools, it will be generally on their website and they will explain how it works, how that appeals process works. In general, though, there needs to be new information. So it is almost, it's incredibly rare that the college would have maybe incorrectly looked at something that doesn't really happen. They have their materials, they look through them and they make the decision that they think is the correct decision. Um, But in an appeals process, maybe you had new test scores that didn't come in until after the decision was rendered, or maybe you realize that uh, there was a letter of recommendation that didn't make it and therefore wasn't considered. I mean, it's unlikely again that these pieces are going to make a difference um, in the decision. And, and like I said, the appeals process will be laid out fairly, um, if they have one, it will be laid out for you. But I would say that when you get a no, the most important thing to do is look at the colleges that said yes, and really focus on making a good choice, uh, amongst those options. And of course we are beating a dead horse most likely, but you really want to have a balanced list and you want to like all the schools on your list. And it's very common for students to have favorites and for parents to have favorites as well. But it is important to expand beyond just one college because you can't put everything on one college. If it doesn't work out, then what happens, right? So you need to have a nicely balanced list of seven or eight schools where you have a really good chance of getting into some of them. You look like a lot like the average accepted applicant for some of them. And maybe you have a couple of reaches um, because to pin your hopes on the idea that a college will reevaluate their choice if they've denied you is um, almost always a, a completely losing battle. So uh, sorry not to be more optimistic there, but yeah, that's yeah. not likely. Right. Uh, okay. Time to move on. Exactly. Uh, All right, Shannon, this question comes to us from Jan. I just started the FAFSA for my son. It asks about registering for the selective service, aka the draft. Do I really have to register him? I added the aka the draft. Yes, yeah. Um, So, yes, if you want 
um, your son to receive federal student aid, which presumably you do if you're filing the FAFSA, yes, um, he does have to register for the draft. The, the, the laws in the U.S. are if you are uh, currently, at least, if you are a male between the ages of 18 and 25, uh, you must register with the Selective Service. And what they do when you file a FAFSA, they run all the FAFSA filers' info up against the Selective Service database. And if you indicate on the FAFSA that you are, in fact, over 18 and male, they will be looking to make sure you're registered. And if you are not registered, you cannot receive any federal student aid. Um, now, to make it easier for students to register, which you would normally do on the Selective Service website, you can actually just check a box on the FAFSA. If you're not registered already, you can just check a box on the FAFSA that says, register me now. And the FAFSA basically shares your info with the Selective Service, and you're all set. You're all registered just by checking that box. Um, now, if, because this does actually happen a lot, if you are only 17 when you're filing the FAFSA, you're actually not required to register yet. It's not until you're 18. Um, but as long as you are, and I think the, the exact timing is if you are 17 and three months, you can still check that register me box. Uh, and what they'll do is just hold your registration until you turn 18 and we'll register you then. So it's, you know, kind of all taken care of. Uh, alternatively, if you are only 17, since you're not required to register yet, you could actually skip registering for your first year. They, they, they check that selective service database when you file the FAFSA. It doesn't matter if you turn 18 later in the year. You're still okay for that first year's financial aid. Um, but then you will have to make sure that you do register um, when by the time you apply for aid for your second year of college. Um, so that's all like the current situation. You do have to register if you're male between the 18 of between 18 and 25. I will tell you that there is a bill in Congress right now called the College Affordability Act, um, which is a bill to reauthorize a lot of the federal student aid programs and, and change some of the aid programs. And currently within that bill, it actually removes that selective service requirement. Um, so we have yet to see what's going to happen with that bill. It's still got a ways to go to work its way through Congress and all sorts of, uh, to get any bill passed, all sorts of compromises get made. So we will see if that selective service, um, the removal of that selective service requirement makes it through in the final bill or not. So as of today, as of right now, yes, you do have to register if you're a male between 18 and 25 and you want to get federal student aid. Okay. All right. And I Good have a question for you, Beth, from Betty. And it says, you stated on your August 8th podcast that applying early is advantageous in the majority of cases. Uh, however, if your grades were not good in your early high school years and ascended in junior year, that you may want to apply regular decision to show um, that improvement and that you are now more college ready. Um, however, when it comes to state schools, should we also wait to apply because I've heard I guess it means should we still wait to apply because I've heard that in Florida and in the majority of state schools, the chances of you getting in if you apply regular are slim. So I'm not sure. I, I, I do always kind of the whole phrase I've heard that is always to me like a yeah. tip off that what follows is 
I don't know. If not, not truthful, only partial truths or half myths or completely untrue. You know, but I will say in this case that when colleges, when state schools have priority programs and they receive an app, priority deadlines, excuse me, and they receive an avalanche of applications. And primarily, we're talking about the flagship state schools here. I do think you mm-hmm. can be in a disadvantage by by applying in the regular round. However, the flip side of that is you're also probably at a disadvantage because you haven't been able to show the steady increase yeah. in grades. But it's kind of six to one, half a dozen of the other. I, you know, the if the grades aren't great, it probably means you're not going to be competitive. And if if you apply regular decision, it may also mean you're not as competitive because they've already read so many different files and potentially admitted so many students. So in this situation, I probably would side with getting it in in the priority deadline, getting it in in that earlier deadline, um, just because of the volume that a lot of these schools see. What I generally find and advise is that the fact is, if the only thing holding them back from accepting the student is that they didn't have a great ninth and 10th grade in the classroom, then they may very well very well defer making a decision to see if the better grade or the upward trend that they saw in junior year continues into senior year. Um, if they just flat out deny, it basically means that it doesn't really matter if the grades do show a sustained increase, that that wasn't going to make up for the other deficiencies in the application. And so for that reason... My advice here would probably be, yeah, get it in by those priority deadlines if you can and continue to do well and hope that you will have the opportunity to show that continued strength and upward trend in grades. And if they really want to see how much better you are doing, then they will defer and wait to see that. If they don't defer, though, it's because it didn't really matter that your better grades in 12th grade weren't going to make up for the challenges that are in other areas of your application. All right, believe it or not, we have time for maybe one more for you and maybe one more for me, but I don't know. It depends how long you take to answer this next question, Shannon. Um, And it comes to us from Tim, who says, I just did the FAFSA with my daughter. She's applying to 12 colleges, but we could only list 10 on the FAFSA. What do we do? Yeah, so what you would need to do, I'll try and answer fast so we can get to one more for you. Look up the deadlines of all of the schools, the 12 schools on your daughter's list. Find the 10 with the earliest deadlines. List those 10 schools on the FAFSA first. Um, complete the FAFSA. Submit it to those 10 schools. Within a few days, the student will receive an email with a link to what they call their student aid report. Um, when you receive that email, that indicates that the FAFSA has been processed. Those 10 schools have received the form. At that point, since those 10 schools have the form, you can log back into your FAFSA remove two of the schools, replace them with the the remaining two schools that haven't received it yet, and then just resubmit the form. And then within a few days, you'll receive a new student aid report, uh, and that is your indication that now all 12 schools have received the FAFSA. So it just kind of, if you're applying to more than 10 schools, um, which we've talked about on this show, that you probably don't have to. 10 should be enough, but in those cases where you do want to apply to a couple more, it just makes the FAFSA a two-step process. It's a little annoying, but totally doable. 
Do we have time Got for it. one more for you? Yeah, and I think um, I know there was a question around submitting test scores, and maybe we should. Uh, I think that one will be quick to answer and probably most relevant to our listeners today. Yes, is this the um, when should I send my yeah. SAT and ACT? Yes. Okay. That's <laughs> when it. should I send my SAT and ACT now, or should I wait until my application is submitted? Uh, so my advice here is if you are done testing and you um, these are your scores, I would go ahead and submit them. I wouldn't wait. And the reason I wouldn't wait is because um, the you want to get them in ideally before the deadline. There are some schools where they really, especially in the early rounds, which we've kind of passed at this point, but where they really want everything by the deadline. You do not need to wait until your application is in. You submit the scores they'll just go into a holding area. And then as soon as you submit your application, they will get matched up. So there's really no downside to submitting your application earlier. Um, and the, the, the only downside to not submitting them earlier is that they, in some cases, if it's an early round, they may not arrive in time. So I would say, go ahead. You do not wait, need to wait until you submit your application. All right, I want to thank Shannon today and and uh, Julia, who was on earlier. Next week, um, we are going to be airing an encore of our April 18th show. It's Thanksgiving, so we air an encore show on Thanksgiving, and this one is going to be on the trends we saw last year in merit and financial aid packages, and we're also going to be answering more listener questions, but I, I think our listeners are interested in merit and financial aid. Um, I know most people are anyway, so we're going to re-air that show for you guys. If you have questions, um, send them to us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Shannon and I are always looking for more questions that we can answer in these segments. So again, it's gettingin.voiceamerica.gmail.com. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram, College Coaches on Instagram, College Coach BH. Um, and I am on there as uh, Elizabeth Heaton92. We are also on Facebook, so you might want to follow us. Uh, and um, don't forget, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.